Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message. Um, when, when we were doing our sermon planning, Josh put me in this slot and he put the title of the message is, what is it like? The, the greatest message ever. Right? No pressure. Greatest message ever. Um, now listen. I don't know that this is the greatest message ever, but I can tell you this, as I was preparing this, it felt weighty. I don't know if this is, I don't know if I'm gonna preach the best I ever did, I don't know. I know that without Jesus, it's gonna stink. It it always does. I know I need Jesus, but I also know this, this may not be my best sermon ever, but this is important. This is weighty, and it may be one of the most important things we ever talk about, okay? Are you ready to receive the word of the Lord today? Then let's pray. If, you just, uh, if you're willing, close your eyes and turn your hands up towards the Lord like you're going to receive something. This is like, almost like a prophetic action, like drop it on me, God. I want it. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come into this room. We, we know you're already here. We were worshiping you, and we love you. And now we submit ourselves to you. Would you give us ears to hear you? Would you give us minds that understand you? Would you give us hearts that embrace your affections? Teach us to love what you love and hate what you hate. We want to be changed into your likeness, Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I ask for your help myself. Give me eloquence of speech and clarity of thought. I pray that what comes out of my mouth would be your spirit and not my flesh. And anything of my flesh would fall to the floor, but anything of your spirit would go deep into the hearts of your children and bear fruit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to break this down into three generations, and we're going to talk about ourselves, okay? Are you ready? If you're taking notes, we started with Exodus 3, 13 through 15, and I'm going to talk to the, God of, uh, the, the generation of Abraham, the generation of Isaac, and the generation of Jacob, okay? If you're the generation of Abraham, I want you to start thinking about this. You have kids who have kids, or listen, this is spiritually speaking, You may not have physical children, but you're of the age to have children at that age. So if you're the Abraham generation, think on this, you're the generation that would be having grandkids about this time, okay? Raise your hand if you're the Abraham generation. Yeah, there's a lot of you. We love you guys. All right, if you're the Isaac generation, you're of the generation that would, who are the fathers and the mothers, which means You have kids, and you probably have kids at home. Put your hand down. You probably have kids at home, or you are of the age group that would have kids or have kids at home. You don't necessarily have to be a parent. I'm going to call you a spiritual parent, okay? Even if you don't have physical parents, the Lord's calling us to spiritually parent. So if you're of that age group, the Isaac age group, then put your hand in the air, I want to see who you are. All right, this is great. Pretty well spread up. Now, if you're the Jacob age group, Samuel, <laughs> you're 13. <laughs> you can put your hand up in just a second. If you're in the Jacob age group, you do not have children yet. You should not have children. It's not appropriate for you to have children yet, but you do have fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers. If you're of that age group, the Jacob age group, show me your hand. 
There's a whole bunch of them over here. All right, guys, I see you guys. Okay, now, as we're speaking about each of them, I want you not just to pay attention to your own age group, but pay attention to the one above and below you too, okay? Let's put on our learning caps and let's see what the Lord has to say to the generations. Um, first, Abraham generation. We're starting uh, by honoring our elders. I love you guys. Um, uh, story time first, you ready? So, um, I married Jennifer. Yeah, woo, that's good, yeah. I'm a Texan, she's a Pennsylvanian. She has uh, two sisters. Uh, I came up to Pennsylvania and I married her and, and both of her sisters, Pennsylvania girls, married Texan boys. So three Pennsylvania sisters married three Texas boys and before long, their families, we all moved down back to Texas and we're all involved in ministry. Now, her mom and dad were in Pennsylvania, and Jen's mom and dad are great people and pastors. They've been in the ministry at this point for like 30 years. They've been head pastors. They were known all over the county um, because, and very well respected because of the number of people they've ministered to and led to the Lord. But when our families all moved to Texas, they were confronted with something to pray about. We started having kids. And they wanted to be around their grandchildren, so they asked God if they should come to Texas. Of course, the Lord said yes, because all their grandkids are in Texas. So they packed up, and they came to Texas. And when they got to Texas, they kind of expected, because they had 30 years of ministry experience, that there would be lots of open doors for ministry. But they were all closed. They actually ended up working at Starbucks for a while, because there wasn't anything else available to do. And when they went to the church and they began to look around and see where the greatest need was, the greatest need for this pastor of more than 30 years who had led churches and charges and counties and people to Jesus, the greatest need was in the children's ministry. So her dad and her mom volunteered in children's ministry. And they did so well that they weren't just children's volunteers, they became children's pastors. And as I watched them, I watched this man who had already accomplished everything you would think a pastor needs to accomplish, humble himself and begin again with the next generation. And I watched a generation of kids come up calling them their grandmommy and granddaddy, calling them their mommy and daddy. And they led a decade more people to Jesus in the children's ministry. I'm very proud of them. Are you going to send that to your dad? I'm... <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Gary. <laughs> and, and listen, he was never a very playful person, but when the Lord called him back to ministry and called him to minister to littles, he got down on their level, and he became a playful person. It's like his heart anti-aged. It de-aged. He got younger. And as he's serving in children's ministry, he actually became a better and a better granddaddy and a better and a better daddy, and it was incredible watching his heart youngify. And it was incredible watching him continue to fulfill the calling of God in his life. Listen, Abraham generation, if you're not dead yet, there's still a calling for you. If you're still kicking, there's still butts that need kicking. Yeah. I keep praying, God, help me not to say offensive stuff. And then stuff like that comes out of my mouth. But it's true. That should be in a T-shirt. If you're still kicking, there's still butts that need to be kicking. Now this house that you're in right now is over 50 years old. And when this place was planted, it was planted by 
Dick Benjamin and Dick Strutz, and these were fathers who had turned their eyes towards the next generation, to a children's generation. And when they did, this place began to grow. The Jesus people came in. The Jesus people, my, that's my parents' generation. That's how my parents got saved in the Jesus movement. The Jesus people began to come in. And then by the time they got into the 80s, there were 2,000 people going to this church. They planted churches all over the place, all over the world. They sent out missionaries all over the world. They opened schools right here. They sold their wedding bands to pay for this building. They sold property to pay for this building. And they ministered to the world and the kingdom of God from this place. That's the Abraham generation. Listen, if you were part of any of that, I want to say something to you right now. Thank you. Thank you. The Tibetans uh, have a traditional greeting and uh, I was taught this when I was a brand new pastor, and it, it goes something like this. I honor the greatness in you. If you're the Abraham generation, as a church, we honor the greatness in you. Thank you. Thank you for still being here. Thank you for pouring out so much. And we are part of the inheritance of what you did. Thank you. Okay? Do you agree with that? Okay. Uh, but God's not done with you yet. So you, 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 you're, you may be weary, you may be tired, you may be ready to, to pass the torch to the, to the next generation, to the, to the next MP. You may, be, you may be, you've lost, you've been hurt. I, I can only imagine the things that you've experienced and the things that you've seen. But I'm begging you not to retire. I'm begging you not to retire from the work of God. The reason is because we need you. Your generations after you need you. This is 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. This is Paul speaking. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Some, some of you probably feel like this. My life's already been poured out. The time of my death is near. I hope that's not you, but it could be. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his approaching. Now, here's the irony of this. He's saying, I've finished my race, and what he doesn't realize is that the letters he's writing from prison are going to become some of the greatest ministers of his life. He thought he was done with the race and he was writing Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon and 2 Timothy. And the reason that you and I know God is because he actually wasn't done with the race yet. There was still more ministry in Paul's life. And right up to the day that they killed him in the Colosseum, Paul was doing ministry. Uh, Abraham's Grandmothers and grandfathers, we need you to stand until you get that victory. Whether it's in this life or the one to come, we need you. Acts 2, 16 through 18 says this. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Grandmothers, grandfathers, we need your dreams. We want your dreams. 
I, I, can I invite you to, to dream and to share your dreams with us? Because we need your spiritual gifts. We still need your spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. You're valuable. And, and, and it may be that you've been made to feel like because there's another generation behind you, it's time to pass the torch. We're not asking you to pass the torch. We're just asking you to pick us up in your arms and keep going, okay? We're just asking because we need you. Titus 2, verse 2. This is Paul talking to Titus. He says, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. You know why? Because we need your example. Because we need you to mentor us in these things. That's why he's talking to the old man. Teach them to do this. Why? Because the fathers need the grandfathers to teach them these things, or we don't know how to do them. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely, to be pure. Why do we, we need you to teach us? We don't know what we're doing. We act like we know what we're doing. We're so proud and we're so stuck up, but in reality, we have no idea what we're doing. We need your help. Abraham generation, we need you to mentor us. Please don't stop believing. Abraham generation, this is Malachi 4, 5 through 6. You know there's always a generation that prepares for the move of God. This is what it says in Malachi 4, 5 through 6. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives, his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now watch this. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. You know, Jesus couldn't come back unless there are certain uh, unless there are certain stipulations that, that have been fulfilled. And one of those stipulations is the hearts of the father have to be turned towards the children. And the hearts of the children have to be turned towards the father. But what happens first? What happens first is not that the children turn their hearts to the fathers. What happens first is the fathers turn their hearts to their children. And, 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 and let me tell you something. Sometimes you may think, they don't want my love. It, even if we don't want it, we sure need it. Sometimes the generation under you doesn't look like it cares, but I want to tell you something. We need your love. We need your hearts. We need your affection. We need your prayers. We, we, we need you to invest your hearts in us. There's a whole generation that doesn't know how to look up, and the way that it's going to learn to look up and to turn its heart up is when the father and the grandfather generation turns its hearts down. That's what we need. By the way, the Bible says if he were to come and that did not happen first, there'd be a curse on the land. Does it feel sometimes like there's a curse on our land? The reason there's a curse on our land is because the hearts of the fathers need to be turned towards children so that they're not, well, I'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. You guys with me today? This is the John generation preparing the way for a Jesus generation. Preparing the way for his coming. Luke 1.17 says it like this. This is talking about uh, 
John, who's going to come and prepare the way for Jesus, he will be a man with the spirit of power and of Elijah. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. How? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious, that's the rest of us, to accept the wisdom of the godly. Close your eyes right now, Abraham generation, and ask the Lord, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? How does this relate to my heart and my calling? Holy Spirit, teach us what you want to teach us in the name of Jesus. Amen? Abraham generation, we honor you, we love you, we adore you. Now, Isaacs, if you're an Isaac, your parent generation, let me see your hand. Okay, Isaacs, I got something for you guys too. This is what's cool. The Abraham generation, they're not done yet. So that, that sermon last week actually has something to do with this week. The Abraham generation is not done yet. They've got to stand until they stand in victory, right? Until they're done. The Isaac generation, you have something that applies to last week too. You need to stand your ground. You're in the thick of the fight. I don't know if there's a harder time to live as a parent than the time that we're in right now. I mean, I haven't lived another time, so I have no idea. But this is a tough time. You've got a thousand things going on. There are a thousand things to consider. I don't know if it ever gets any easier, but trying to take care of six kids in a culture that's trying basically to infiltrate their morality and destroy it is difficult. It's really difficult. And the stress levels just continue year after year after year to elevate. It's not easy. If you're in the Isaac generation, you're in the middle of the fight, and it's hard. Stand your ground. This is not the time to roll over and play dead. This is not the time to give up, and this is not the time for you to compromise. How does our culture view children? Our culture acts like kids are parasites. A kid, is, a kid is just something that's using more than their fair share of resources until they grow into a useful human being. That's kind of how our culture sees kids, right? I, I remember, you know, we have six kids, and, and trend along, it's like ducklings following you, you know? And, and we'd go into a restaurant, and we'd, we'd go into a restaurant, and you could watch people as you came to the restaurant get this look in their eyes like, oh, there goes my dinner. Oh, my gosh, six kids. They're going to be so loud and obnoxious. Their expectation is that you're trailing in with a bunch of kids that's going to ruin their night. And they were shocked when my kids were well-behaved, and they'd come up and they'd thank us for having well-behaved children because, because their mentality of children is that children are noisy and obnoxious. They're to be seen and not heard. They're things that ruin your vacation plans and your retirement, and they're things that ruin your dinner. That's what children are. I remember one time I was, uh, I was in uh, Christ for the Nations and a really well-respected lady in ministry, um, she'd been ministering for 50 years. She came up to me and asked me how many kids I had. And I said, we have four kids. At the time, we had four. And she said, well, that's enough, don't you think? There's ministry to be done. Even in the church, that's the attitude. Even in the church, that's the attitude. That's enough, don't you think? There's ministry to be done. Hey, listen, lady. This is my ministry. The Lord told me to make disciples. I made six. How many did you make? <laughs> we made six. I... 
I did all the easy stuff. <laughs> I'm all bragging. And Jen's like, we made six. I have so many jokes right now that would be so inappropriate. I'm just not going to do it, okay? I'm going to behave myself. But I can't tell you how many times we've been out with our kids and people have, have made, you know, comments. Don't you have a TV at home? Actually, for the first couple of years we were married, we didn't have a TV at home. So <laughs> they might have been onto something there. I want to ask you a question. What TV program are you watching that's better than what we're doing? Because I've never seen that TV program. Only one person got that joke. <laughs> my kids are not a burden to me. My kids are not a drain on my resources. My kids are not the consequences of my irresponsibility. My children are your future. And your children are your future, too. And your neighbor's children are your future, too. They're our inheritance. This is what the Bible says in Psalm 127. Listen, I'm talking to you fathers and mothers, right? we got to change our attitude. We, we think that the kids are the things that we have to feed three times a day. The kids, are the, we're going to have to pay for their college. We're going to have to pay for their, for their weddings. We're going to have to pay, and we're racking up the dollar signs. It costs a quarter of a million dollars to raise a kid to the point that they're 18 years old. I can't afford to have children. I'm telling you this. You can't afford not to have children. And I understand there's some people for biological reasons that can't. I'm not saying anything about that. I, I understand that. I get that. I'm just telling you, where's our value? This is Psalm 127. NLT, unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. So God's telling us something about building our households. He's also telling us something about building the house of the Lord. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. So the Lord is telling us something about guarding the city. He's telling us something about guarding our households. And he's telling us something about guarding our inheritance. He's about to tell us about battle plans. Verse 2, it's useless for you to work so hard. From early morning until late at night, anxiously working for your food to eat, for God gives rest to those he loves. He's talking about success. Where do you get your perspective on success? Is it from your hard work? Then he says this in verse 3, children are a gift from the Lord. The NIV says this, children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a reward from him. Our culture thinks kids are parasites and burdens. God's culture thinks this is your reward and your inheritance, right? What does that mean? So, so God identifies himself like this. He says, I'm Yahweh. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the God of multiple generations. This is what that means. This means you get to be added to the list, that means you get to be added to the name of God. My mother and father were the first in their generations to decide that they were going to follow Jesus with all their hearts and their minds and their strength. My God is the God of Paul and Kathy, my parents, but he's also the God of Zach and Jen. And he's also the God of Simeon, Judah, Cherish, Maggie, Nora, and Sam. We get to add to the name of God by being generations that follow the Lord. He becomes our inheritance. 
And this is what I want. I want the name of Nice to be known in heaven and the name of Nice to elicit memories and thoughts of Christ. I want the name of Nice to be known in hell and I want the name of Nice to elicit thoughts of Christ so that when hell hears the name of Nice, hell realizes that they're up against the people of the Most High God. My children are part of that inheritance. I'm not just looking for the success of my generation. I want my children's names to be written in the book of life and their children's names. In fact, I pray for this all the time. I pray for my generations after me. Lord, give me my children. Give me my grandchildren. Give me my great-grandchildren that they would know you and follow you in the name of Jesus. I'm praying for my generations. This is my inheritance. By the way, guys, that's all you're getting because I'm poor. So... <laughs> When I die, if you're hoping I'm going to pass you on something, it's just it's the name of Jesus, guys. That's what you get. You get your... <laughs> yeah, that's right. You guys are rich. Verse 4. Children born to a young man are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Okay, have you thought about this? We talked about the armor of God last week. Is it possible that children are part of the armor of God? This just said that children are arrows. Blessed is the man whose quiver, this is a quiver, is full of them. Now, I'm not, I don't know how, how big your quiver is. Your quiver may just hold one arrow. I don't know. Our, our quiver held six. There are families in here whose quiver held nine and family whose quiver held two. That's okay. All of that is fine. That's between you and the Lord. But, I, but this is what I'm saying. Your children are not burdens. Your children are weapons. This one doesn't even have a tip on it. You know what? I would be a bad father if I didn't put a tip on that arrow right there. This is part of a parent's job. A parent's job is to fletch, to straighten, to sharpen. You need to be smacked to smack. Children are your weapon against your enemy, and the Lord gives them to you to aim them, to give them purpose and direction. Each one of our children has a purpose. Your child is designed with an enemy in mind. Did you know there are different types of heads for different types of uses? There are target heads. This is a target head. There are blunt heads for shooting squirrels and things like that. There are field heads like broad heads if you want to take down a deer or something. There are even fish heads. That sounds weird. They're fish heads if you want to bow hunt fish, and there's such a thing as a turkey head. It, it's like a torpedo with blades on it, and when you fire it, it spins in circles, and when the turkey goes, and pops up its head, it just, whoop, it just pops their head right off. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to see that? <laughs> Your kids each have a purpose in mind. They each have an enemy in mind. They each have a mission in mind. And part of your job is to help them find it and then to send them out towards it. Your children are designed specifically to take something down in the kingdom of God. Are you following what I'm saying? Some of your kids are broadheads. Some of them are blunt. They're for taking down squirrels. Got a couple turkey heads in there. Got some fish heads. Your job is to ask the Lord, God, what was my child designed for? Help me to help them discover their purpose. And that's not easy. And the world's going to lie to them and tell them it's something else. 
The world's going to lie to them and tell them they have no purpose or is going to lie to them about what their purpose is, what they've been designed for. Part of your job is to make sure that that arrow knows what it's for and you send them towards the target that God has designated for them to kill. They have an enemy. Oh, man, this is too violent. can't believe you're talking about fighting stuff again. Verse 5. How joyful, happy, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts. Watch this. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full because he will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers, some versions say enemy, at the city gates. Parents, when you're standing your ground, where are you standing? You've been called to stand your ground at the gate of your city. You've been called to stand your ground at the gate of your home to protect the territory that the Lord has given you. And what this is saying is the children are not just there to protect. You're not just there to protect them. They're actually part of the way you fight against the enemy that's trying to encroach upon your territory. Your best prayer worries you got are the ones in your house, guys. Ladies, the best prayer worries you got are the children in your own home. Fathers, stand your ground and guard your gate. I want to read a story. This is a really, this is a really hard story. You, you already know this. This is, this is the story of Lot. Do you remember when Abraham, we talked about this months ago, when Abraham uh, was visited by God and God told him he was going to go down and he was going to look at Sodom and Gomorrah and see if it was even worth saving or he might destroy it. And so Abraham started bargaining with, uh, started bargaining with God and saying, God, what if you can only find this many people who are righteous? Would you still destroy it? He manages to bargain God down until God's just like, if there's a handful of righteous people, I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And then God sends two angels down to scout out the land to see if there's anyone righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. When they get there, Lot finds them, and Lot invites them into his home. So Lot takes these angels into his house, and he begins feeding these angels. That's where we are, Genesis 19, 4 through 8. It says, Before they'd gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. This is like the worst dinner party ever. (sighs) If these are your neighbors, just consider, I don't want to be invited to your dinner party, okay? Lot's living among a broken generation. Lot's living among a generation of people who have completely lost their moral compass. You're living among a generation of people who have lost their moral compass. There's still good people out there, but for the most part, we don't know the difference between right and wrong anymore. We've lost our moral compass, and that's where Lot is living. And they've so badly lost their moral compass that they think it's acceptable to drag people out of their houses and rape them. It's not. No. Now, this has always been perplexing to me. Lot went outside to meet them, and he shut the door behind them. I want, I, want, I want you to think about something. Do you think that his family can hear his conversation? They sure can. He went outside, and he closed the door behind him. He said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. My friends? Since when is the culture that's trying To rape the guests and the family in your home, your friends. 
I would not call them my friends. He says, look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. They're virgins. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. What about the kids God gave you? Have they not come under the protection of your roof? Are you willing to just guard the door when society's watching, when somebody's looking, when there are guests in the house? Or are we willing to guard the door when our children are in the house and nobody's paying attention to us at all? Lot was willing to compromise his daughter's innocence to avoid offending his neighbors. You know why he went out the door and he said, no, my friends. The, way, the reason he went out the door and he said, no, my friends, is because he didn't want to offend them. God has not called you to not be offensive. I'm not saying that he's called you to be offensive. That's not the truth either. He's called you to be truthful and loving. But you don't call, you don't call someone who's come to your house to destroy your inheritance, a friend. They're not your friend. And you and I have to come to terms with this. We're compromising our children's innocence to avoid offending a world that wants to destroy our children's innocence. Are you guys okay with me saying that? Listen, his daughters were in the house. They could hear what he had to say. And five minutes at the door was all his daughters needed to know about their value to their father. Your kids, fathers and mothers, are watching you defend your city. They're watching you defend your house. Every time you go to the door, they're watching for clues to how much they're valued. Let them know that they're valuable. Let them know they're worth fighting for. Let them know that they're a prize to you and you care about your inheritance. You know, what, you know what Lot did? Lot was willing to hand his arrows out the door to his enemies. His children were his arrows. They were supposed to help him fight. And he was willing to hand his arrows out the door to his enemies. He was willing to hand his inheritance out the door to his enemies. Are you willing to hand your inheritance to your enemy? Come on. That ticks me off. I want my children beside me locked and loaded when those guys come to my door. And instead of hearing, no, my friends, I want the, the last thing they hear to be me and my girls racking around. Because that's how you deal with a bunch of rapists at your front door. Sorry. Sorry, guys. I do love my kids. I'm willing to blow through a door. Just for my children. Now, Lot's children, you guys know the story. Sodom and Gomorrah was, was destroyed. The angels led Lot and his daughters out of the city. And, and when they got out of the city, his, his wife turned around and looked back at the city. The reason she turned around and looked back at the city is because her heart was in Sodom and Gomorrah and not with the Lord. She turned around. She looked at Sodom and Gomorrah. She turned to a pillar of salt. Probably got burned to death by whatever was coming out of the sky. And then when they finally got to, the, to a cave to hide, uh, Lot was depressed. His daughters were the only people with him. And they begin to think thoughts. And the way that they think is like Sodom and Gomorrah, not like the God of Abraham. And they begin to think, how are we going to have children? There's no men around here. All, all there are is our dad. And so what they, they did something completely disgusting. They got their father drunk. And they had children with their father. 
This is Genesis 19, 36 through 38. As a result, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. When the older daughter gave... I, I, I used to drink. I've never been that drunk. This is so sad. When the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab. He became the ancestors of the nations now known as the Moabites. When the younger daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Ben-Ami. He became the ancestors of the nation now known as the Ammonites. Do you know that the Moabites and the Ammonites grew to become some of the greatest enemies of the people of God? Some of the greatest enemies of the Israelites were the Moabites and the Ammonites. They enslaved them. They tortured them. They ripped open their pregnant women in order to murder their babies. They were evil. Lot was a man who was meant to be blessed and have an inheritance for God, but when his culture came to his door, he handed his inheritance out the door. And when he handed his inheritance out the door, instead of having his name in the line of faith like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, his children became the Moabites and the Ammonites, the enemies of the people of God. In Judges, they fought the Moabites and the Ammonites. Saul became king, fought the Moabites and the Ammonites. David finally defeated the Moabites and the Ammonites. Lot's inheritance was he raised up enemies of God. I don't want my inheritance to be that I raise up enemies of God. Four people don't want to have an inheritance. <laughs> Do you want to have an inheritance of enemies of God? Now, our kids are going to have to make choices, and you can't control those choices. But what you can do is make sure that when culture comes for your kids, you don't compromise them. You can do that. You can give them a head start. It's kind of deep. Lot didn't stand his ground. He didn't value his children the way the Lord valued his children. He didn't see them as his inheritance. He didn't see them as weapons. He saw them as something that he could trade away so that he could remain socially acceptable and have friends in his culture. You can't negotiate with hell. Luke 1.17 says this. This is, again, talking of John. Just a reminder, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Mothers, fathers, Isaac generation, it is your job to prepare your children for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Some of us have kids that are in rebellion. Turn your hearts towards them. Just keep turning your hearts towards him. Keep turning your hearts towards him. This is a promise of the Lord. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. I want that promise fulfilled. Do you? Yeah. All right, finally, we talked about, uh, talked about the God of Abraham, God of Isaac. We talked about the grandparents' generation. We talked about the parents' generation. Let's talk about the kids. You guys ready? Got a whole pocket over here. Oh. I love you guys. Actually, I, I love these kids. Guys, can I tell you something? It, your grandparents, they have to stand until they have their victory. Your parents, they've got to stand their ground. They've got to stand at the door. Kids, it's your time to take your stand. You were designed with a calling in mind. You were designed with a purpose in mind. Go find it. Go fight for it. You've got to want it. 
You know, your whole generation is kind of just is kind of just wandering through life. What do I do with my life? I don't know what to do with my life. You know what? Maybe you were designed as an arrow. Ask God what you were made to kill. Ask God what you were made to destroy. Ask him what you were made to, to, to defend. Ask him what you were made to build. Ask him, God, what am I here for? Because God knows he built you. I want you to know something. You don't have to do this alone. Um, Abraham generation, Isaac generation, raise your hands. Look at these people. They, they've been building. They're not all perfect. They've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. But we're not asking you to start over. You know what we're asking you to do? We're asking you to get on our shoulders. That's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to start your fight from the ground that we already won and then go out from there and conquer. We want you to, we want you to be more successful than we are. We want you to love Jesus more than we love Jesus. We want you to follow him more faithfully than we did. We want you to be the fulfillment of our prayers. Did you know that the prayers of a generation of Abrahams are still resonating in the bricks of this room? And if you align yourself with the prayers of the generation of Abraham, what they prayed for 50 and 40 and 30 years ago can be your inheritance. You can walk in the revival that they've been wanting their entire lives. And they want that for you. Don't we? So I got a couple things to say to you guys. You ready? Isaiah 51, 1 through 3. It says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. If you're Jacob generation, if you're kids and you want to pursue the Lord, show me your hand. Show me your hand. Come on, guys. Show me your hand. All right. I see you talking to you. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. You are an arrowhead that was cut from a rock. The rock you were cut from is your father's and your grandfather's, your mother's and your grandmother's generation. What this is saying is look to the generation before you and align your hearts with the prayers and the passions of the godly generations that came before you. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man. I blessed him and made him many. Kids, if you want to advance in the Lord, if you want to advance in the kingdom, Look back. Begin by looking back. You'll move forward when you begin by looking back. Um, do what Aragorn did. Take up your father's sword. It's time to take up your father's sword. And you, you may not have had a father who followed Jesus. I'm talking about a spiritual generation. I'm talking about a generation. There are people in the generation before you who fought. There are people in the generation before them who gave everything. Take up their sword. Take up their mission. Start your mission where their mission, where their mission ends, yours begins. This is Gen uh, Genesis 26, 12 through 29. Remember, we're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is Isaac. This is the son of Abraham. And it says, Isaac planted crops in that land. He came back to his father's land. He planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundred, a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. I want to be blessed so much 
that the culture around me that doesn't know Jesus is jealous. And they want to know the Jesus that I know. That's a good prayer, by the way. And I'm not just talking about cars. I'm talking about the blessing of a... When people look at our family, usually they're not looking at our possessions. They're looking at the way we relate to one another. And they're going, I, I, there's something with their family that I kind of I want in my family. I want our culture to be able to look at a family, at a marriage, at a relationship with a father and his kids and a mother and their kids and go, there's something about that that I want. And to come and go, how did you guys get that? And for me to be able to say, it's because of my God. For them to be made jealous by the blessing of the Lord on our lives. Now it says this in verse 15, so all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. So the Abraham generation, the Isaac generation, they've already dug wells. They're already there. But what the enemy has done is he's come along and he's caused trouble and division and bickering and conflict and falling out and sin. And he's tried to stuff dirt and rocks back into those wells so that they don't spring up with water anymore. This is what happened to Abraham. Now watch this. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. This is your new mission, the old mission. Your new mission is the old mission. Remember me telling you at the very beginning, there's a generation who built this house, a generation who led kids to Jesus, a generation that opened up schools and sent out missionaries, a generation that sent out churches, a generation that touched the kingdom of God from this little place right here. That's your mission. Those are those old wells, the wells of the prophetic, the wells of the apostolic, the wells of evangelism. Those are your wells. They still have the same names, and they've been stopped up. And this is what I'm saying. Your mission is to dig out those wells and find that water again. That's your mission. Fathers, grandfathers, show them where the wells are. Show them what you prayed. Show them what you fought for. Don't let your history become a forgotten myth we need your history and this is what happened when they began to dig up those old wells verse 19 Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there you dig up the old wells and when you're done he'll give you new ones too you fulfill the missions of your fathers and your grandfathers and when you're done he'll give you new wells to dig up too. And then those will become the missions of your children and their children. And you'll continue to pass on an inheritance until our mission is fulfilled and Jesus Christ has come back and I get to go home. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.